0: Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Cape Up. Given the events of Charlottesville, the racism, the bigotry, the unabashed display of white supremacy, you need to hear from Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, right now. Benita Gupta, thank you very much for being on the podcast.
1: Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: President Trump addressed again the situation in Charlottesville. Just give me your reaction.
1: It is incredible to me that it is newsworthy in 2017 that the president of the United States has condemned racism and white supremacy. Like, let's just unpack that, right? Like, right now, as I'm speaking here, all of national TV and all of cable news and probably news internationally is covering the fact that the president of the United States has finally condemned racism and white supremacy, 2017.
0: Look, these conversations for the last seven months, anything related to President Trump has reduced many people to sort of sputtering if not silence, just we we're sort of shocked into as you can tell. Even in this question, I don't even
1: know what to say. Well, I think that's right. I mean, I think the what is normal has totally shifted. I mean, when you think about when Steve Bannon was appointed to the White House, as, knowing White, white House all, strategist, right? As White House strategist, knowing all about his record, having you know been the leader of Breitbart, the alt right, the alt right now has become really, I think, a sanitized word for white nationalism. Mm-hmm. Uh, And the fact that he has been in the White House for, you know, now eight months kind of pushing an agenda for this White House that in all ways has been decidedly very anti-civil rights. I mean, this has been a presidency and an administration that at every turn, any one of these things would have done any other president in. And yet every day, they just amass. And I feel like this has come together in Charlottesville for everyone to, to see, and including Republican members of Congress that are speaking out. But it's simply, it's been exhausting, and it's been painful.
0: And, you know, and exhausting and painful for you because of where you've come from? You ran the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. I mean, your job was to protect the the rights of Americans, no matter who they are, where they come from. The Justice Department under Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch were pushing so hard to make America live up to its ideals. And seemingly overnight, with one election— we see how easily it is to undo years, if not decades, worth of work.
1: Look, there's no question that in so many ways the Justice Department represents why elections matter in this kind of unfortunate way. I think that I was so proud to serve a president who was aggressive about the civil rights agenda two attorneys general who understood that the historic mission of the Civil Rights Division was to protect the most marginal and vulnerable among us and to be aggressive about the enforcement duties of the Justice Department. And I've got whiplash. I think there's no question. But here's the thing is... While they are undoing that work, and they are reversing longstanding positions in voting rights cases, and they are pushing back against criminal justice reform, even to the right of the Republican Party, quite honestly, that they have an anti-immigrant agenda that is kind of astounding, the fact of the matter is is they cannot erase what has been done. And while they are pushing these policies and this rhetoric out from Washington, D.C., there are so many people around the country who are activated, who are energized, who are pushing for justice and fairness and inclusion in their communities, and kind of standing against all odds against what's coming out of Washington DC. And so while there's no question that I have a severe case of whiplash just not just from being at the justice department but also quite honestly from being a civil rights lawyer my whole life. I just have never seen an administration in my lifetime that has been so intent on uh, pursuing an anti-civil rights agenda in the kind that they are. But I am hurtened by the level of energy that exists in communities around the country that are pushing back. We've got to sustain it. We can't let Charlottesville be another blip until the very next thing that the president does that kind of swallows up the airspace and the media space we need to be using this moment to continue to build movements around the country that are around the kinds of ideals and the kind of country we want.
0: So you just said that the, the gains that have been made cannot erase what's been done. I mean, to to my mind, I look at what's happen, happening and I think they're undoing everything. So where does your confidence come from? Or is there like, what are the facts behind they can't undo a lot of these things?
1: So, you know, I'm not pulling in about this. Some of it is, is going to get undone and it's gonna going to cause serious harm. But if I look at something like the LGBT rights movement, and I look at the work, you know, in during the Obama administration, there was a change in litigating position where the Justice Department stopped uh, enforcing the Defense of Marriage Act, took a different position. We filed a lawsuit against North Carolina and the HB2 uh, situation on transgender rights. And then to have when Trump tweeted out in three tweets, a ban um, of transgender people from right. the military, to see the, the fact that the Department of Defense and uh, Republican lawmakers and others were were kind of astounded that the president had done that. That is seeing a trajectory of social change that no matter what comes out at all the reversals, you know, Jeff Sessions has withdrawn the memo that we issued to school districts on how to prevent harassment and bullying of transgender kids. It was one of his first actions. He can take those steps, but what I'm saying is that We are in a fundamentally different place in this country around some of those things. There's always going to be kind of a resistance to progress in this country, but I don't think they can fully erase the progress that we made. I look at voting rights right now, and I've been speaking out loud and clear about what's happening in voting rights. I am deeply distressed by the White House and the Justice Department's agenda, which will result in mass voter purging without sufficient attention we're going to need to file lawsuits in court the leadership conference coalition has organizations that are going to be prepared to file litigation in court we need to be organizing in our communities for state local election officials to make sure that they don't unlawfully purge voters off of the rolls but the pence kobach commission and what the justice department's been doing to reverse positions on vote in voter purge cases that are one of which is going up to the Supreme Court, we have got to be vigilant and all hands on deck to make sure that everyone eligible in this country can participate in our democracy.
0: So so voting rights is a, is a perfect example of people being revved up and energized and focused on a whole host of issues that you've just talked about people have the energy and they're focused but my concern continues to be that the energy that we see now in mid twenty seventeen, can it be sustained? I mean, eight months of talk about talk about whiplash. I mean, we we're like that sneaker in the dryer every day, being not being yeah, knocked around. That's
1: a better analogy.
0: And it takes it takes a lot of energy to maintain a maintain the opposition to everything that the president is doing. What would you say to folks? down the road as they get weary that it is important to keep that energy up.
1: Well, unfortunately for us, I mean, I was worried about that when we saw people flood the airports after the Muslim ban. I was so heartened by that and then thought, oh, my God, we're nine days in. People are going to not be able to sustain that level of energy. We have a this is a marathon, not a sprint. And yet perhaps the only silver lining that is coming out of this presidency is that time and time again. Uh, this administration is giving us a reason to get revved up again and to be energized about it. I, you're right. Look, we have a problem while we have been fighting for voting rights for a long time that we still don't have enough people going to the polls to vote. And we need to make sure it's not just about pushing for voting rights. It's also about pressing for our civic engagement. And it's a little bit of a hard thing right now because people – who need to feel some connection to their government in order to feel like they have a stake in it to vote. And on the one hand, this election proves why elections matter. The 2016 election proves why it matters for folks who care about civil rights and opportunity for all. And yet on the other, there could be a sense, especially among young folks, that, oh, well, you know, this just proves the point of how corrupt government is and how out of line they are with any ability to protect me and my communities or my interests. But I have to say that this fight for civic engagement and the fight to actually get folks to be engaged to exercise their right to vote is going to be as important as the push for voting rights in the next few years. And that's where I think the civil rights groups are going to need to really mobilize um, around as well.
0: Why do you think Congress, Congress is controlled by Republicans given everything that we've seen, especially after Charlottesville, Why are they still rallying around him?
1: Well, I will say I think you saw some pretty uh, significant fissures on Saturday with members of Congress, Republican members of Congress, speaking out and really, uh, you know, highlighting President Trump's own deficiencies and moral irresponsibility and not naming the white supremacists who are marching in his name. The problem for me is that I read those statements, and while I'm hurting by them, I am reading them and saying, well, why are you pressing forward on an agenda that is incredibly divisive, that is seeking to exclude swaths of people from the American economy, from our educational institutions, from access to the polls? And so I, I am watching and reading these statements, but they have to be followed by policies in action. And they have been very disciplined about rallying behind a singular figure as unpredictable and at times uh, reprehensible as he has been in his, in his words and his actions. And at some point, this is where the, it will be up to the American people to decide whether they want elected officials who will stand up for inclusion and justice and fairness, not just in words, but in actual deeds and in policies that they are advancing.
0: But I don't even trust that. I, I mean, I, I wrote a piece saying, you know, no matter what President Trump says, I'm not going to believe him. Because of what I've seen over the last eight months of the presidency and what I saw during the campaign. And I say that because of who is within steps of the Oval Office in his administ- in his West Wing, Steve Bannon, Stephen Miller, Sebastian Gorka, but also policies that they are pursuing that it's great for him to talk about, oh, white supremacy is bad and hatred is bad and racism is bad and that we should all embrace love But he still has the same policies. He still has the same people surrounding him. So I I don't know. I guess it's my long way around of asking, do you believe President Trump will actually do the deeds you think he needs to do to restore his credibility with the American people on this particular issue?
1: I don't. I think he's lost the moral credibility to do it. Uh, I think that he lost the moral credibility. Saturday was a moment for him to show some leadership as the the president of the United States on these issues. He couldn't even do it in words. And so, you know, I don't. I agree with you that I think so long as he has people in his immediate staff that have significant ties to the alt-right, call that alt-right, call it white nationalism, call it whatever, far-right, whatever you want, and I think that he has gained a lot of advantages for his, from his electoral base by pushing out that kind of rhetoric and policies. He was doing it as a candidate, uh, impugning judges for their ethnic background, calling Mexicans rapists, you know, mocking people with disabilities, calling African-American communities kind of, I can't remember the exact words, but caved out, uh, you know, hollowed out ghettos and the like. I mean, it's just this unfortunately has been an election tactic that clearly gained him advantages at the end of the day but until you see a policy agenda that is actually aimed at inclusion and increasing opportunity for everyone and not dividing our country so that the issue of economic security is uh, simply a white working class issue. There, everyone in this country is concerned about economic security. Right. For the longest time, we had Jim Crow in this country. We had slavery in this country. Economic opportunity and exclusion these are issues that are profoundly about like what it meant to be african-american in this country and what it meant to be an immigrant in this country and the like and to carry out an election and a set of agendas that is pitting our communities against each other says what it needs to say and belies any of the words that frankly took him two days to utter and so that is what makes us cynical about this but that said we have to continue to press forward look as a civil rights lawyer I worked on criminal justice reform issues in the late 90s and there were too few of us that were screaming and kicking about what was happening in mass incarceration even then and I'm including civil rights groups in that. We folks were not paying attention on that. And so but it was through sheer persistence that organizations that kept pushing despite, you know, all odds in the darkest periods of that time are now beginning to see a trajectory of reform. Civil rights lawyering has always required a deep, deep reservoir of hope, and it's required persistence and action, which is why, even in the face of this president, I don't think any of us who believe in, the, in our country and in American ideals are going to give up and kind of just throw our hands up and cower into a corner. I could have done that after leaving the administration. But I chose to put myself at an organization that is in the thick of the fight with a coalition of organizations that are doing this work, because we can't give up on what it means to be living in this country and on on these ideals as hard as that is right now.
0: Yeah, you're the president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights. Do you feel like you've basically walked out of the Justice Department and into another organization where your work has not changed.
1: That's right. Like
0: you, You left Friday, Monday you walk into a new place, and yet your docket is full with the same stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's filled with the same stuff, but it is a very different climate. I mean, there are so many issues right now that we are working on where we had leadership from Washington, D.C. Let's take police reform. It's an issue that I have spent my whole life on. I know, Jonathan, you've uh, written a lot about it as well. I mean, we went overnight from an administration that really understood the importance of trying to get this stuff right. You know, this has been an issue that has plagued this country, racial injustice and policing and criminal justice for a long time. So much so that we now have police chiefs around the country that are publicly saying, don't listen to Washington, (laughs) D.C. We know that we need to have the trust of our communities, the communities that we serve, if we are going to be able to have public safety in these communities and to have peace and justice in these communities. They are shunning out the voices from Washington, D.C. because they know doing the work that they do every day that they need us. That is how far out of sync we are right now with this Justice Department and this administration. And yet, it remains a top core priority for the leadership conference and for the member organizations that are pushing for transformation in criminal justice uh, around the country.
0: What would you say to people who still support President Trump, believe that he's doing all the right things and why they voted for him? What would you say to them um, if they don't take the, the tumult in the country right now and the reaction to Charlottesville right now if they don't take it seriously?
1: You know, I i think I'd be hard pressed. I have to say I'm a little bit flummoxed by that question because it's so hard to watch those images and think that anyone truly in their heart of hearts who believes in what this country should stand for, who could watch neo-Nazis marching in the streets, who could see a woman Killed by neo-Nazi right-wing fervor, uh, and so many people injured, and say that this is the kind of country that we want to have. You know, obviously there is there is a groundswell of support that's emerging out of the shadows for right-wing white nationalist policies. I'm not going to deny that, and that part of that has always been the fabric of this country. Let's let's acknowledge that as well, but the fact that that some of those groups are now feeling so liberated to to be marching in the streets in Charlottesville without masks anymore, I think says the danger point that we're at and now what has been heartening is seeing all the folks coming out and doing the vigils and pushing back. But there is a lot of tumult in this country, and, you know, there's going to be a sector of the American community that is, frankly, if they are looking at that and not seeing a problem, I'm not sure they're quite reachable. I'm not willing to give up on them, but I think there are many, 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 many more people in this country who are saying that is just disgusting and we need to call it for what it is.
0: Vanita Gupta, president and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, also the former head of the Civil Rights Division in the Justice Department under President Barack Obama. Thank you very much for being here, for squeezing us in on this busy day.
1: Thank you so much. Really, really glad to be here.
0: Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.
1: If you like Cape Up, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? with Allison Michaels, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try Constitutional, a series about how people have framed and reframed the Constitution over time from host Lillian Cunningham. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts.
0: The Washington, Washington. Washington, Washington Post. Post.